Microsoft announced a lot of things this week. We've got Teams features, Xbox codenames, and an Xbox event. Welcome back, everybody. It is a Friday, and uh, for the first time in a long time, many people are actually watching this live. If you're not subscribed on the YouTube channel, um, then you wouldn't get the notification. But if you did, you might be hanging out with me live uh, this week. I don't do it every week. I did it a for a very long time, very consistently at 10 a.m. on Fridays. But it became a challenge to try to always hit that 10 a.m. timeline, especially once my daughter got a little bit older and life just kind of you know kept things crazy, considering that this one is being done at 9 a.m. But if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel and you want to get in on that when I do it on the, uh, infrequent occasions going forward, well, you know where to find me. So there is a substantial amount of news this week, just across the board. Microsoft was talking everything from extremely new Teams features that aren't even here yet. We've got an Xbox event on July 23rd, although it feels like that was announced a month ago, but it was just a few days ago. And we're going to dive into all of it. We've got some code names on the Xbox side. We've got some features on the team side. So let's roll with that. Microsoft announced this week in a very similar fashion to what OneDrive has done. Um, they've laid out basically a roadmap of features that are going to be coming. So one of the things that has been become, become popular with the chat communication apps like Zoom, Zoom and uh, well now Teams as well is that you can change the background but Microsoft is taking that a step further and they're actually going to allow you to place people into different scenarios and when I first saw this I thought this was kind of a gimmick because it shows people like at a coffee shop or something else like that but one there was one scenario actually a couple that make a lot of sense one being for teachers they showed a classroom setup where a teacher is looking at a classroom and all of the students are actually placed into desks now i know it's not real and it's not as good as being there in person but it actually was kind of nice and it's for somebody who stares at a screen of people's faces all the time um seeing them maybe in a classroom or an auditorium when you're doing a speaking session is actually pretty nice so microsoft says they're, they're going to roll out other things like probably like being on the USS Enterprise and other stuff um, like that. But, you know, here we are uh, with Teams and the classrooms and auditoriums. It's just a nice feature. They're also increasing Teams meeting sizes up to 1,000 participants, meaning people who can interact, and up to 20,000 people watching. Um, that's just, you know, to sort of a, a whatever, an update. Uh, seven by seven grids, which is the 49 person view, is also coming very soon. Predictive replies, which is something they have on Outlook and other features, that is also arriving uh, in the near future. But Big for me per, on a personal level is NDI support. NDI support allows you to basically rip the video out of the stream. And Skype has this. And for people who do podcasting like myself, you can use NDI to get higher quality inbound uh, video and audio streams and be able to play with them. This is also going to be huge for like broadcasting uh, companies that want to use Teams as their back end. So there you go. Uh, on this side of the Surface Duo, first off, Frank Shaw, the global communications lead uh, for Microsoft, was tweeting out a bunch of pictures last night just trying. He was baking some bread, but he had some very clearly placed uh, Surface Duo in a case and with the little pen. And so, yeah, whatever. Um, Surface Duo news. Microsoft, it was said that Microsoft acquired a company called Movial, but they didn't really acquire it. It was it sounded more like of like an acquire hire where they took all the people who were doing some outsourced work for Microsoft and they just brought them in-house. I can guarantee some money was exchanged of hands um, because Microsoft is effectively poaching an entire portion of a company to bring them in-house to do more intimate Android operations or work on the Surface Duo. Now, this is interesting from a couple reasons. The first one is that, well, why were they outsourcing Android's work? Not all that surprising, but considering they already made a launcher, maybe they already had enough people to do 
that being said, the fact that they're bringing them in-house means that Microsoft is getting pretty serious about this and that they see this as more of a long-term project rather than like, okay, we're just going to chuck the duo out the door and that's going to be it. The fact that they now are, not, they don't own, but now that these are actual employees and not contractors, that signifies that, hey, Microsoft is uh, going in the right direction. Microsoft also legitimately brought uh, Orion's system that's sort of on the dynamic side. So if you recognize that name, that's a good thing. Uh, and then Microsoft Chief Development Officer Peggy Johnson is leaving, uh, or Chief Business Development Officer, I believe, or former, I should say, is leaving the fold. She is leaving Microsoft and is going to Magic Leap. Now, this is an interesting way because there are going to be rumors flying everywhere um, because a similar scenario happened when Stephen Eloft left Microsoft and went to Nokia and then Nokia got bought, you know, parts of it got bought back. And we all know that story. Now, Peggy Johnson is going to a competitor of HoloLens over to Magic Leap and, well, hey, what is Microsoft going to do? Are they trying to... Well, let's just be honest. Magic Leap is not in a good position. Magic Leap is trying to get somebody in there as a CEO who can help do enterprise-level relationship building and sell a product. And that is where Peggy is good. And it makes sense. I don't think this is a bad move for her personally. It's a risk, right? Life is built on risk. And, uh, you know, if you don't, no risk, no reward. And she's been at Microsoft and she was at Qualcomm before and she's a natural fit. So I wish her the best of luck. I've talked to her a couple times over the years, um, but not like a, a really great relationship but you know good for her and we'll see what happens with magic leap well i know a lot of people want magic leap to fail just because of how much money it's raised i do think the market again is better off with magic leap being at least somewhat of a success because that pushes microsoft's hololens forward um, at a faster rate so just keep that in mind um, if you've been wondering why your Edge hasn't been updated as fast as it had been, Microsoft announced that they are pausing Edge development for two weeks because the Chrome, the Chromium engine team over at Google was delayed a bit because of what is going on in the world. And um, now Edge team is just pausing development to realign with what they are doing. And if you've also tried to open your iOS apps today, including like Spotify and many others, and they are crashing, it's not you. It's actually the SDK from Facebook is striking once again and knocking these apps offline one more reason why i really just don't like facebook i i, I log into i think facebook once a year is my my usual uh cadence for logging into facebook and so there you go yeah so anyways um that is that is what's going on in sort of the the general world just know that your ios apps are not going uh whatever on to the gaming side of the news where there has been a lot kicking things off Sony has dropped two, about $250 million into Epic. Now, Epic, you probably recognize that, but they are the creators of Fortnite. They're valued now around $17-ish, $18 billion, and that netted Sony a 1.4% stake in the company. So the question becomes, why did Sony do this? Why did they give Epic, who doesn't really need money, um, $250 million? Well, is is you know, Fortnite going to become exclusive to the next generation Sony console? Absolutely not. That was actually very clearly written in the announcement that Sony has a, right, well, a 1.4% stake, a very small minority stake in it. What I think this is doing is allowing Sony to have a better relationship with some of the back-end technologies that Epic has created for next generation um, game development and also movie development and cinematics. It, it's Sony getting closer to the companies that are making the games in the industry that have significant weight and 
and being keyword backend technologies that allow them to build next generation titles. Um, Sony is not like snatching up Fortnite and it's only going to be exclusive. That would be crazy on, um, on, on many, many different levels, but it is an interesting move and something very notable. And I'll be curious to see, I don't think Microsoft is, is going to be doing anything different here. Um, and the, the one thing that jumps out of my mind is that Microsoft makes a ton of money um, from Fortnite. It was actually a line item on some of their Xbox stuff for a while. But that being said, Sony has a 1.4% stake. Make of it what you will, but that was a big thing. Now, Microsoft is going to be having a games event on July 23rd. We already know this. Microsoft has announced it. And they've also saying, hey, we're going to see Halo Infinite campaign we're going to see it. It's going to be good. It should be, I'm hearing good things about it. I'm curious to see how much they're going to show. And I think Microsoft has finally heard that they can't just show off like pre-roll or B-roll. Like it's got to be actual gameplay. And so that is what I'm expecting to see from Halo Infinite. And I think it's going to be really good. Uh, Walking Cat has also uncovered a bunch of code names, by the way. And I was able to verify just about every single one of these. Uh, there's one called Indus, I-N-D-U-S. And I believe uh, this is going to be Age of Empires 4. There's a, another code name called Breathless that I was not able to fully track down. But that is floating out there. Uh, Steelhead looks to be the next Forza game that is going to more than likely be shipping uh, with the console. Uh, we also have Halo Infinite, which is known as Olympus. Then we have uh, Valentina, which is something made by the initiative and then we also have wasteland uh frost point by in exile i believe um so those are some names that are floating around right now and some of the things that are going on i am most i think excited about age of empires 4 i was a huge age of empires fan i've actually uh very recently re-downloaded the uh, command and conquer red alert got remastered and it's up on steam and i've been playing that you know rts style gameplay uh with that but age of empires 4 could be could be a good one other things on the gaming news is that microsoft's flight simulator 2020 is also entering into it's still closed, but it's becoming, the ring is getting just a little bit larger from the alpha to the beta ring. Uh, and so that is getting much, much, much closer to launch. I am going to be curious to see if they're going to be talking about this on July 23rd. I hope so. Um, I've been playing it a bit. I've been the alpha for a while and um, I, I'm not supposed to comment on it, but there's a lot of stuff out there and it is very, very much worthwhile uh, looking at. Other things Microsoft talked about this week. So here's an interesting scenario. When you have a development kit from Microsoft, and I'm assuming Sony as well, but I know Microsoft's much better. There's a ton of restrictions about how and where it can operate for obvious reasons. Microsoft doesn't want these things leaking. They don't want them benchmarked. They don't want them, you know, Sony to steal one and, and work it at home and whatever. And so there's a lot of um, like, you know, like contractual restrictions about what you can do with it. But there's also some technical limitations that Microsoft puts in place that you can't take these things outside of the office. And so that presents a big problem when everybody is working from home. That's a huge problem. But the, pro but the challenge here is that Microsoft has technologies to stream games across the Internet at very low latency and very high frame rate. And they said, hey, why don't we put a couple things together here? And they've enabled developers now to effectively directly remote into the Xbox development kits and then stream the builds from those kits to their house securely without having to remove um, the console or the development kit from the office. Now, I know this is going to sound kind of weird because it's like, well, why? and I actually asked Microsoft this. I'm like, well, can't you just remote into a computer in the office and then connect into the Xbox? And they said, yes, but that's additional layer of friction and latency and you don't get the same experience 
experience. And so by enabling this, these Project xCloud technologies for their development kits, they are now letting, uh, enabling, I should say, developers to stream these beta builds or alpha builds or whatever builds directly to their home and removing that step. And it's making things a lot more fluid for these developers because what would happen previously is that they would log in and they would get an okay experience. But then when they would try to get the native experience, they would realize other issues, performance stuff. And so it's removing one layer of friction that could be causing performance issues on next-gen titles. It's it's kind of technical stuff. And Microsoft wouldn't give me the full details because I was trying to figure it out. Um, but what they explained to me is actually this should make things a lot easier for remote development work. Um, the challenge obviously is that, hey, we're in July and games are gonna be shipping soon. But going forward, this will be an option for developers to do remote enablement. Um, and, and it's just a good thing. It's just gonna help things out. Um, we're also going to see Halo 3 uh, arriving on the PC next week. For all those nostalgia fans, uh, that is obviously another huge win. Now, here's a big topic that from Phil Spencer. From Phil Spencer. He says, hey, we are not slowing down with, next, with studio acquisitions. He said this in an interview. He said, we are not slowing down. Now, this is really interesting timing because we all know what's happening with Warner Brothers. And they are trying to offload their game unit, which includes um, licensing and titles and a lot of studios. And obviously, the big one out there is Batman. But then there's some licensing technicalities with Batman. And we don't know if Microsoft is going to get it. And quite frankly, we don't even know if it's actually going to sell or sell, I should say, is for sale or is going to sell. You know, guys, you guys know what I mean. Um, this is huge for Microsoft. This will be a big expenditure. Rumors peg it at a somewhere around a $4 billion deal. Now, Microsoft absolutely has the cash to make this happen. They have the ability to go in there and just write the check and, and, and seal the deal. Um, it's going to take a lot to get there. There's going to be a lot of back of the napkin calculations about how things are going to play out. Um, Amy Hood is probably, you know, really pushing on, and Amy Hood is the CFO of, of Microsoft and a, a very, um, a very good CFO at that. And so, I'll be very curious to see if Microsoft makes this deal happen. I haven't heard if it's going forward. I have absolutely heard that they are interested and things are um, more than like, it's not like they're sitting at a bar and feels like, yeah, I'm kind of in, like they are, they're looking at this with a, a good set of lenses to see if this acquisition is going to make sense. Where or when and everything else, we don't know. It's just, it's in the early stages and they are not the only company bidding for this stuff. And again, AT&T has to decide if they're going to even sell it. But AT&T, I believe, has a ton of debt on its balance sheets and they need to offload some assets to try to reduce that. And uh, this, this might be one of the ways that they go ahead and do that. So keep an eye out for this stuff. Microsoft is very bullish right now on where things are headed and we will see. And so this kind of brings me to an interesting question that came up. Game Pass. Game Pass has been a phenomenal um, sort of market motivating uh, value for the company. We've heard time and time again, it came out last week about how developers who put, or indie titles or other game developers who put their titles into Game Pass are seeing significant sales on the backside of it. That is huge for Microsoft. I mean, one developer said they were seeing like 5X their normal sales after they exited Game Pass or even during, the, or I should say during their time in Game Pass and then quickly after. That is huge for developers. It's another massive marketing push. It's a win for Game Pass. The reason why this is so interesting right now is that there's talk about how next-gen titles are gonna be 10 bucks more. We've probably all seen those headlines by now going from um, you know, $59.99 to $69.99 plus all your microtransactions, plus your deals, whatever, all that stuff. We know 
know that story right now. We also know the value that Game Pass brings when you pay for it. You're paying roughly 70 bucks a year or something around that, you know, depending on the value or what you get. It's roughly one game, one and a half games at the time when they launched it. And then you get access to all the games, over 100 games for a year. We, we know that narrative. Here's an interesting thought going forward. Will there ever be a point where Microsoft's games, their first title games or first party, are only available in Game Pass? If you're kind of confused what I'm saying here, look at Apple Arcade. Look at the model that Apple has built with Apple Arcade. Those games are only available inside Apple Arcade, inside the subscription service. This fits very nicely in a Microsoft's long-term model. Um, it's also kind of hard to justify buying an, a first-party title. You just get into Game Pass and then you get all the games and Microsoft gets their software as a service. Um, you know, Gaming metrics are completely different. It's not so much sales, it's more engagement. Think about that, though, the long term. And I'm not saying this is not going to happen um, like this is happening next week. But I think long term, Microsoft's first party titles will only be available in Game Pass. I, I realistically think that it fits into everything Microsoft has done on their business side with their software. For the most part, it's software as a service. Being able to buy that software outside the software as a service hurts the software as a service model that Microsoft loves. And so... Just keep in mind, see if you see any tea leaves of that happening, because it would not surprise me. Um, yeah, it would not surprise me. Now, I know I'm not including the cost of Xbox Live and all that, but you've got to basically go out and buy Xbox uh, Game Pass Ultimate or whatever, X Xbox Live Ultimate, whatever they call it these days, uh, where you get the Live and the Game Pass. So you're looking roughly... $110 a year, which is less than two games, especially at $70 a pop. So it's $140 for two games, you know, keep in mind. So to make that software as a service model more lucrative, you have to get more exclusive first party titles in there where you can't buy them outside. It's a risky kind of move, but Microsoft did this with Office 365 back in early like 2012, somewhere around there, and they've made that transition. And now Microsoft is looking to make that same transition again with the Netflix of games is what they want Game Pass to be. It's going to be very interesting to watch. I'm not saying it's happening soon, but I do believe that is the long-term plans here for uh, Game Pass. So uh, we are going to dive into the questions of the week as we, uh, as we plow on through here. Now you guys get to watch me live, um, terribly pronounced names. So... Now, I always post these up all day. I post these up about the day before on Threat.com. You can just follow me on Twitter, at BDSams. I always tweet out that link, and you can just go drop questions there. It's too hard to keep eyes on other places uh, when things are going on. But Gotham says, with all the Surface Duo photos around on the internet from top Microsoft people, I think he's referring to Frank, uh, I'm starting to think that the Surface Duo design is actually different than what they are actually showing in these pictures, like better design with less bezel. Is there any possibility for this? I have not heard that. One of the reasons why the pictures that Frank showed off yesterday that might look a little bit different than what we had seen previously is I'm pretty sure that Frank had a case on his. Uh, he, he definitely had a case on it. It looked like a clear white silicone case. Um, so you're not always dropping it on that uh, magnesium or whatever the material they're using on the outside. I don't think the design has changed. I don't think the internal specs have changed either. At least I have not heard that they have. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Duo because Duo, the, look at Surface Duo. And for those who aren't super familiar with it, it's basically a foldable phone, but it's not a foldable display. There's a hinge in the middle. 
What's interesting about this is Microsoft is launching this in a similar way that they launched the proper or the, the bigger Surface brand, right? They launched with a Surface Pro, which was sort of, it was, wasn't really a laptop and it wasn't really a tablet. It was somewhere in between. And the Duo isn't really like a, a, a phone, if you will. It is a phone, but it's not really a tablet. And so they're, they're trying to see if this market will sustain something that's sort of like a Surface Pro in you know theory inside the mobile space. And I think if they see like any sort of hint of potential, I think they will chase it down because look at this from Microsoft's vantage point. If they could even get 3% of the mobile market, that would be an astronomical amount of revenue for the company and significant growth. Now, they're not going to come out. The, the thing that challenges me with the Duo is that it's not going to have a great camera. Um, it, we don't know what the battery life is and it's going to be expensive. I think it's going to be sort of a, a testing the market to see if something like that exists. Uh, Usman says, uh, I've got a car question for you. Okay, so for those who aren't familiar, I'm currently car shopping. Um, not quite sure what I'm going to get. I might end up with a Tesla Model 3, but I kind of want the long range all wheel drive model, but it's a little expensive. So if anybody wants to be my benefactor, uh, I will not turn you down. Um, it says last year, and that's where this question comes from. Last year, there was lots of speculation that Light OS at 10X, uh, what? I thought this was a car question. Oh, he asked another car question that's down below. And this is why live shows are hard. Let me see. Let me see. Okay, so here's his car question. Uh, since you have a garage and work from home, have you looked into the vehicle to grid uh, home? It's basically using your car like a power wall, uh, charging at off peak and then using electricity uh, to power your home during the day, which is ideal since you don't uh, drive on a regular basis. Um, so here's the thing, like I, I'm all over the grid. I'm more than likely going to end up with an electric vehicle, I think. Um, although we're just trying to wait. Um, I did sell my other car earlier this week and I'm on the hunt for something new potentially before my kid goes back to school, provided school happens. And if school doesn't happen, um, then we'll be, um, you know, we probably don't need a car, I guess, quite yet. So then his other question, it says, uh, last year there was lots of speculation of Light OS 10X halfway through the year. It's pretty quiet and pretty much back to the drawing board. What is the current situation purpose of 10X in the current landscape considering how iPad OS has glowed up over the past five years? So here's the thing. So Windows 10X is the OS that was expected to run on the Surface Neo. Now Neo is a bigger version of Duo, but Duo runs Android and Neo, which is much bigger, runs Windows 10X. Now, earlier this year, Microsoft said, hey, we're kind of refocusing Windows 10X uh, not to be on dual screen devices. We're going to focus on single screen first, meaning that Surface Neo is not going to launch in 2020 as they had initially stated. Now, this comes on the heels of Panos Panay taking over the development or sort of the end user experience on Windows 10. And so what is the current situation? It's a little bit murky right now about what is happening. Things have definitely gone much quieter than they had been. I think there's a lot of replanning and trying to understand like, is this truly the right way forward for Windows 10? And is this even gonna make an impact? We don't know yet. There's still a lot going up there. Um, and it's hard to draw a comparison to iPad OS. I know it's, it's easy to do from a, a surface level, huh, pun um, thing but it's not really intentionally set up that way. So it's kind of, well, apples to Windows effectively at the end of the day, because iPad OS is really just iOS, but it's on there. It's, it's Apple for you. So, um, and then he says, do you think they should have spent the last past 10 years building a simple robust OS instead of chipping away at Windows to get, uh, to get it smaller? Hindsight is 2020. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Here's the thing: Windows still makes billions upon billions upon billions of dollars every quarter, 
every quarter. So it's while they need to get some wins from like a modern light OS experience, just from a marketing and feel good perspective and longevity, the real reality is, is that Microsoft is making billions of dollars every quarter um, with its old Windows. So uh, Geek Live says, how feasible would it be to create an Edge OS system with curated Android apps and PWAs in the Windows Store? I don't think it'd be too hard. The problem is, is that... Uh, Chrome OS is a big different beast than actual Chrome the browser. So Microsoft could do it um, and they maybe are secretly working on it. That Maybe that is one of the reasons why. I haven't heard anything specifically related to that yet, but if if Microsoft is willing to already build uh, rebuild Edge on Chromium, there's no reason why they couldn't do this as well. So that's a good question. Uh, Red Star says, uh, when is the Surface Duo coming out? We don't know. It, it's ready to go. That is about the best that I can tell you. Um, we've, I believe they hit a big milestone around early June to get this thing out the door, and so there it is. Uh, one thing that has been annoying me to end lately is that Microsoft has been uh, announcing products for Teams, Office, Azure, and they don't arrive. Why is this? So Microsoft has done this twice this month, actually. OneDrive did it earlier where they announced a whole bunch of features coming, a whole bunch of features coming. And they said, yeah, they're coming in the next couple weeks. Um, now, Office announced a whole bunch of different features as well, Office, or specifically Teams, and they have a much longer timeline. Yeah, it is frustrating. I wish they would announce these things when they're ready. A lot of it has to relate to that when they're going to roll these features out, especially at the enterprise level, they need a long lead time to let their customers get ready and, and block these features if they want to, or at least test them. And so while these features may not hit general availability for a while, they typically hit the technical access program or TAP as they call it uh, much, much, much earlier. So these things are probably starting to roll out there and then they just don't want them to leak because people like me would absolutely do that. And so, yeah. Um, uh, Sydney 2K says, earlier this week, news came out that Microsoft were interested in purchasing the entire Warner Brothers Game Studios. AT&T, the parent company, has priced it at about 4 billion dineros. Given the discussion you made earlier about pricing the next-gen consoles and with the purchase of 15 studios uh, that the time that the payoff of the investment will be soon, what are your personal thoughts on whether or not Microsoft should enter the bidding war for the game studios? Um, we talked about this earlier in the podcast. This is a great question to wrap all that up i think it's worthwhile for microsoft to take a long hard look in the mirror and see if their previous investments in studios are are materializing in a way that they expect that they are going to get a return or at least break even on those acquisitions the reason why i say that is that if microsoft can build this game acquisition studio model much like they did with minecraft minecraft was a huge home run a huge success for microsoft and they want to replicate that success if they are seeing that their current acquisitions that are in the process of building games are following the same path as minecraft or they believe they even might get close to that then that means they understand the right way to buy game studios. If they understand that model and they look at the WB assets and say, look, we can do the same thing we're doing with our other studios with those, and we know the path to monetization and we know the process and the investments it's gonna to take to get to return on our investment, then that makes a lot of sense. If Microsoft is looking at their past you know, 15 studios and they're saying, look, this stuff is like all floundering around. It's not making sense. We're not making good headway. Then it probably doesn't make sense from a dollars out the door perspective. But I suspect that Microsoft has really tightened up the process for acquisition of game studios. And as long as they understand the business model end to end and how this is going to work and the, the expectations for it, you know, it's not my money. I say go for it. So 
I say we go for it. We. We being me and Phil, because Phil and I are, are, are buddies. That's why. Um, NT Guy says, uh, two questions. Microsoft hasn't released any updates for Windows 10X or Windows... I don't have my Windows 10 on ARM device right here in the future, but why has Microsoft cornered themselves with Qualcomm to make their ARM chips? So the reason why they picked Qualcomm is that you got to understand that not all ARM chips are the same. It's not like x86 where you can go buy uh, a chip from intel or a chip from amd and the os that runs on them are just swappable when you build an arm based device it's like that's it like that you have to pick one like you can't take out the the qualcomm chip and drop in one from nvidia and it just works like it's really custom tailored to that specific chip that is one of the primary differences, I, somebody's going to yell at me for that. One of the primary differences between x86 and ARM is that ARM is all customized. You license the basic outline framework and then you build your own stuff. And so it's not so much that they've cornered themselves with Qualcomm. I think Qualcomm was just the best potential option because Qualcomm has a very proven track record to be able to turn out uh, higher performant ARM-based chips at a very regular cadence. Not that NVIDIA and some of the others don't, but Qualcomm has the known name in the mobile space. And so um, it's not that they're not going to work with other people, but I think they need to actually justify the existence of this stuff. And so why haven't we seen any major updates? Well, they're all incremental. The, the only update that really matters, in my opinion, at this point is getting 64-bit apps to run on Windows on ARM. Right now it's all 32-bit and you can't run those higher end applications, which is what's somewhat of an issue. Now, I know they're working on it. We don't know when it's going to arrive, but that is the next big update that you should be looking for for Windows on ARM. His next question is Project xCloud. Uh, do you know if next-gen consoles would be leveraging xCloud from day one gameplay instead of long download times? I believe so. I believe that's pretty much the plan. Whether or not xCloud is ready when the Series X launches is another question, uh, but the intent has always been to get you into games because one of the things that they wanted to do is that when you go and browse the games or the game store inside your Xbox, we all know the experience. Like you, you click on the game, you see a video, and it's like, okay, I'll play this, um, and then you got to whatever. Uh, what they're intending to do, at least for Game Pass titles, is that you can just go click on one and then you just start playing right away. And if you want to wait for the whole game to download, you absolutely can, but then you can just be streaming that locally, or streaming it locally, streaming it from the cloud to your device while it's downloading in the background, or as Microsoft refers to it as snackable content, you can just kind of jump into a game, give it a try, and if you like it, then you just go download it and wait for it to do all in the back end, and then you get your 4K 60 frames per second HDR experiences um, that xCloud may not be able to provide uh, you know, right away. So be on the lookout for that. Rubber Duck says, hi, Brad, love the show. I love you, Rubber Duck. Uh, could you elaborate? Uh, according to my many people, aka Apple, the future of computing is on ARM. How do they see this, these underperforming chips running high-end computers? How could an i9 ever be replaced by an ARM chip? So there, you, you got to understand that the ARM chips that Apple are making are not underpowered. They are actually pretty darn good. We, there's been some leaked benchmarks out there and no surprise, they, they're competing with Intel stuff. Now, I, f I believe that Intel's like super high end massive core chips, you know, the 18 cores, 32 thread style chips from a AMD and Intel are not competing with the ARM chips yet. Apple has done a wonderful job of optimizing. Effectively, they license the ARM architecture and then they customize the hell out of it and then they build the chip themselves and they optimize the OS. That is the major benefit that Apple has is that they control the OS and the chip now and so they can make things even better because it's extremely tailored to their specific uh, scenarios, which is a big difference than over, say, like an Intel where you might find a gaming chip or something overclocked or something underclocked. 
Apple knows the specs of the OS. They know the specs of what their device is going to be in, and it's going to really help them. For the time being, keep in mind that Intel chips and AMD will probably outperform ARM chips from Apple for a while now. And that's, but that those are edge case scenarios. And I'm talking the edge of upper performance and most people aren't going to need that. It's rumored that they are going to be launching MacBook Pros with it, meaning that they're pretty dang confident in what is coming down the pipeline, that it's going to be comparable to what Intel offers. So they're not underpowered. I, I think there, there's this mindset that ARM chips are underpowered because we primarily saw them in phones and low end tablets for a while. And it's just sort of a legacy thing, but ARM chips can be incredibly powerful these days. So um, just kind of keep that in mind. BDSRF says, hey Brad, do you know when Microsoft is going to reveal the Series X physical game box? Yeah, Sony did theirs this week and it got a bunch of attention. I don't know if Microsoft is going to announce it at July 23rd. I haven't explicitly heard, um, but I'm not expecting things too much different. And personally speaking, I haven't bought a game uh, in a box in a very long time, but they're they're kind of neat, right? They're just kind of nostalgic. Um, unfortunately, we don't get the cool little uh, like booklets and pamphlet stuff that used to come with it, but I don't know exactly when they're going to announce it. Simon says, you recently mentioned you were reading a book about the history of Instagram. I am. It's called No Filter by Sarah. I can't remember. Fryer might be her last name. She's a Bloomberg writer. Uh, what would be your top five books about IT Microsoft, excluding your own book? Well, my, of course, I would ex- include my own book that I wrote. Um, I don't have a ton be- because there's so many different ways to slice and dice. No Filter is pretty darn good uh, about the, the birth of Instagram. It's a little quick in through the acquisition process. Like that's in like the first 50 pages and it's a couple hundred page book. Um, there's also another book about building the iPhone that the name is eluding me that I read not too long ago that is also quite good. Um, so I don't want to, I don't like some of the other books are really boring because they're business school books. And so I'll just go look on Amazon. They're going to have better reviews than I probably will. Mr. PKI says, a fun one this week. He is a regular in the contributor question process. Uh, Microsoft has highlighted that they continue to extend security for all with mobile protection for Android. But this is only for enterprises. Do not small businesses and consumers use Android with Office 365 need protection too. Why is Defender available for Windows Home, but not Office 365 Home and Android? Because Microsoft licensing is a nightmare. Um, I suspect that it will eventually go to all this stuff but he's point he's got a point like here a lot of people use android microsoft is touting that they can now protect android devices but they're not going to protect it for all their customers you either got to really pay up or just not or just be a home user um you know it's an interesting it's an interesting proposition the way microsoft has placed defender uh for their most valuable clients i think it really just comes down to microsoft knowing who can and will pay for this stuff and it's not the small businesses like they're just not going to pay for it Matt Thine says, do you think we will get a price on July 23rd? No, I don't. I don't think we will. Um, I haven't heard that we're going to get a price. I don't know if we're going to get a pre-order date either. So be on the lookout for something in August, I think, is when we're going to get it. And then when they do announce it in August, I think it's going to be a pretty quick turnaround from like, hey, here's availability and our <clears throat> and our path. And all of a sudden, then you can just start pre-ordering. So as Ben Dowsgods comes with a big question but I did pre-read this one because it's kind of interesting it says hi Brad thanks for your informative podcast I'm thinking about new earbuds and I was thinking about buying surface earbuds but I found out that the surface earbuds are out of stock in my country in Denmark so I'm looking for alternatives and now that I'm considering a Jabra Evolve 65T Jabra makes really good stuff people are 
I know a lot of people who use their, their products um, and are very happy with them. I don't personally have that headset, but I know a lot of people are happy with it. Um, and it says, I'm using the earbuds for music, podcasts, and Teams calls, so I have a couple questions. Jabra, uh, is Skype for Business certified? What does that mean? So when a headset is certified by Microsoft, it is there's a lot of components that go into it, but the first one is that it has to have certain buttons, like quite literally like mute buttons and different functionality from a physical hardware perspective. Uh, the other major item is that when used in a room with other devices of that same type or other types uh, that are teams or, or business certified, that they don't interfere with each other. That is kind of the big thing because people use these in call centers and there's going to be hundreds of them and they all got to be certified. Um, and this is the Skype for business certification also mean team certification. No, but yes. Um, it's, it's a very, very, very similar process from my understanding. Um, so no, but it's kind of, yeah. And it says Jabber connects via Bluetooth, but it also has a small USB dongle for connection. Are there any benefits to the dongle compared to the built-in Bluetooth on the PC? The built-in Bluetooth on your PC, if it's not strong enough, like my desktop tower PC Bluetooth connectivity is really, really weak because it's inside the the, the box and I don't have the external antenna hooked up, um, then the dongle makes a lot more sense. Also, the dongle might be able to go connect to your monitor and get better line of sight. So that's typically why they include that. And this is the Jabber Buds claim to be connected to a phone and a PC at the same time. To my understanding, Surface Buds can't do that right. I don't think so. I don't think that they can do multi-device connection, although Bluetooth supports it. Um, I don't have a pair of Surface earbuds to actually test it, but I, you might be able to, but it's not going to be connected uh, at the same time. You would have to switch profiles on the devices, which are going to disconnect, which I think that's actually your question. Uh, bonus question. Given that the earbuds come with a USB dongle, can they work with the Xbox? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I don't, I, I don't, I just, I don't think that it works that way. So um, there you go, guys. Lots of questions in this week. I told you guys there was just a ton of gaming news going on. A um, whole bunch of people hanging out in the actual chat room. Appreciate you guys coming aboard. Um, maybe I'll do this more frequently on the live side. This has been a while since I've done a live one. And uh, it's middle of July. It is hot and spicy here where I am from. Hopefully you are cool, calm, and collective. And we are all looking forward to uh, the Teams feature rollout July 23rd. And everything else that is coming down from the Microsoft Pipeline. Have yourselves a wonderful day.